welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I know I have mentioned in the past how there is a sort of fate-filled, spontaneous way that these podcasts come into being. I've been doing these once a week now since May 2020, and there are, I think, 75 episodes. In the beginning, when my energy and inclination were fresh, I had a bit of a list of episode ideas. As time has passed, and then mostly the distraction of feeling that the philosophical political and religious skies falling, I have found it harder to settle upon a subject. And usually when I have, it has been nearly at the time when I needed to be actually recording. We are told, as Catholics particularly, that we each have a mission in this life, even if we are not clear as to what it is. I've looked at the various phases of my life and Looking at them, there seems to have been a pattern in which where I was and what I was doing was meant, but I've only seen it, and not clearly, when looking backward. Going forward, it all seemed, if not exactly haphazard, because there were whole periods of straight vocational and perhaps avocational lines, years, as indeed was the career that I had in a very specialized area of the law so specialized it doesn't really translate well into anything else in the field. And given that life is about getting ahead and making money in large part, even when one is religious, morality and ethics kind of get lost in the shuffle. People act surprised about that, but given human nature, which humans constantly deny to their downfall, it's always inevitable. But looking back again, I realize that God was guiding me and in the person of Jesus Christ, probably quite literally, has had his hand in my back. I said that I have realized it. I have, but the realization comes and goes. I've not been easily guided, and I've complained to him a lot. What I was and what I did as a lawyer for many years was what I apparently was meant to do. I was raised to believe that there was an ultimate truth, and ethics work is kind of an effort to wrangle the practical work-related aspects of ultimate truth. It was a mighty effort to do it, but I maintained my boundaries, and I spoke my mind, and then God decided I would move on, and he moved me on to other tasks, and I continued to complain to him a lot. I started out a kind of Pollyanna, and as I wended my way, as we all do, through this fragmented moral world. I've tried to hang on to objective truth, which to me has been Catholicism as presented to us via tradition, the Church Fathers, the Old and New Testament, and the Magisterium. I was almost going to say the Magisterium that was. I don't know. Maybe I'm not being fair. This program has been kind of like that. I said that it was spontaneous fate, if that's a phrase, because it feels that way. But more and more, I sometimes sense there is a hand guiding me, often and 
more especially despite myself. I can't tell you how often I think, what is the point of this other than proving to myself that I'm not a lazy slug, which, frankly, I kind of am. And also that my pride makes me want not to disappear as I slide into the mists of senior citizenry and onto the conveyor belt of preventative medical practice to keep greasing the mechanisms of heart and colon and eyes and bones and being given every shot known to science and pseudoscience to keep me from the germs and the disease that will, no matter what great strides human beings take, finally take me, all of us, six feet under. Just this week, it was a tetanus shot and a flu shot. Next week, I'm advised to take the COVID booster, and I would imagine that there will be boosters galore. But despite some weeks when I think no more podcasts among thousands and thousands of podcasts, somehow something pops up in my head and takes form. Good, bad, indifferent, it takes a form. And I think that it's no accident in that way that we hear that there are no accidents with God. So this week I got a call from the person I consider my number one fan. I hope she doesn't mind that I'm going to mention her again. When I was doing more interviews, which I hope to go back to at some point, if life in California ever goes back to normal, she was one of them. A wonderful actress and truly astonishing human being. Here she is, this entertainment industry success with a long and varied career, and she treats this little podcast like it is something useful, special even. And I think, okay, even if this effort makes a difference to her, that's enough. I have fulfilled something of whatever mission is mine to have. Anyway, we talked of how crazy things are in the world, and, and that led to a discussion of the ultimate method in his madness crazy, the devil himself. There is so much division around us. There has always been division in human existence, and that's the consequence of sin. And the devil was right there setting it all in motion with two human beings taking the fall. <laughs> you know, the fall, and taking us all with them. She suggested, talk about that, the division and the devil as we are experiencing it now. I don't know, maybe when you're living in it, it's always the worst time, but there does seem to be something particularly grotesque about what the devil seems to be up to now. Maybe historically that isn't the case, but surely it feels like it. Diablo is a scatterer, throwing things apart a slanderer. The root of Diablos is slanderer. He tears us apart from one another and from ourselves. If you don't believe in God or the devil, who is a creature, but a very powerful creature, then I guess this podcast would be irrelevant. But my friend is right, that he and his junior devils are swarming around us in a particularly nasty way and have permeated every aspect of human existence in particular, interfering with acceptance of God's goodness and the work of redemption. He wants us to do what he did, to toss God aside in a fateful act of non-servium. 
I will not serve. And he wants us to deceive ourselves that eternal death will not be the consequence. He is so skillful, he makes our very condemnation seem an attractive end. I looked up synonyms for Diablo. Here are some from thesaurus.com. The usual words, beast, monster, rogue, evil one, villain, which really understates how bad he is. No, adversary, prince of darkness, Lucifer, and others less known, knave, imp, and scamp, which makes him sound like a cute thing, which he is not, which I'm thinking is kind of part of the deception and how we go, oh, he's kind of a scam. Then something which jarred me, actually. I've mentioned in this program that my name, at least back in the 20th century before the net, was considered unusual. And it's from a poem by Victor Hugo called The Jinns. D-J-I-N-N-S. Now, if you've ever read the poem, they are spirits, these jinns. They're less than angels, less than devils, but still powerful, sometimes good, but it sounds like more often evil. Hugo wrote his poem about these pre-Islamic Arabian creatures. My well-intended parents were looking for a name that was unusual, and one they thought incorrectly did not lend itself to a nickname, and jinn-uh was their solution. The A at the end was using Latin. My father was pretty erudite for a guy from the Bronx. And it was to feminize the name in secular terms. A jinn, in its most palatable form, is a genie who grants wishes, like for those of you who might remember, or old enough to remember, Barbara Eden in I Dream of Genie. But there's a darker side to them. They are often changelings. They often substitute for human beings and they confuse and trick. They are tricksters. Today, if you go on the net and you Google the name, it's not specifically a name that you see of a person, but it's still used in all sorts of contexts all over the place. The society has discovered it because it speaks of all that new age and dangerous mysticism it likes to embrace while it rejects the true mystery God himself. It's interesting how we love all sorts of things supernatural, but God, oh no, that's crazy. The culture has embraced more the horror of the jinn rather than anything potential good about it. The jinns, just like the devil in Christian theology, had a choice, and many of them chose against a creator. So, long way to tell you what got me jarred. What I saw in this thesaurus.com list of synonyms was that jinn was one of the many synonyms for the devil. They are mythologically, as I said, less than angels or devils, but as they are seen today, they are hailed for their evil qualities, not for their potential good. We love the evil side of things, it seems, more and more. For example, you know that there has been a relatively successful series called Lucifer. The hero is the devil. There is an entertainment example of the deception, the division, the scattering of our morals. Before I seem even more sorry for me with my name, here's another side of the personal coin. A good side. I was not baptized with the name. It's my legal name. 
But, you know, I suspect that I might well have been baptized that nowadays, given our modern predilections. But back when I was born, the priest was allowed, even required to say that the name Jinnah was not a saint. I doubt that the Bronx priest knew the total derivation of the name. I don't think my parents did. He would have been shocked. But he knew enough that he declined that my baptismal name should be that of a changeling spirit with powers that could destroy without conscience. I was baptized in the name of she who will stand on the head of the devil and in her son's name will crush it. Until this very week, I hadn't really seen that in my own history, if you will, that she has stood with me all those years. I have never given her really the just due she deserves. And for me, in a way, the combination of names sort of explains my lifelong agitations, battles we all have, each in our own particular way, between light and dark, between doing good and doing evil, between being for God and against him. Contained in my very name is the battle for God or against him. Before I did my thesaurus.com search, I had rather impulsively named my new Instagram page St. Jin, and it occurred to me that while there may be no saints with the denomination of Jin, so challenged are they by their natures, it is not impossible for sainthood to be sought and found. There is always a chance to accept redemption. But the world outside of us, outside of me, is making it even more challenging these days with the devil's lies being presented as truth, which we are not allowed to challenge for fear of being labeled uncharitable at best and deplorable or anathema at worst. I often raise the abortion issue. It's just so in our faces, literally, politically, with regard to church theology, and even this very week, it has had an enormous impact. And for me, one in which I don't know which way is up anymore. A parishioner in a Catholic parish who says that abortion is a grave sin is effectively treated as insane and evil by his or her own fellow parishioners. This despite the fact that the 2,000-plus-year-old fact, not opinion, that the church's teaching is that abortion is a grave sin. How can a Catholic who accepts and articulates the church's position be the one who is wrong? It isn't the church's teaching. Am I insane? But it gets worse when priests and bishops seem to suggest more than suggest that my acceptance of the church's teaching is wrong, too. So, I said that this week it's stuff in the face. I had just heard a few days ago through a podcast of Taylor Marshall, who I know, he's a trad, so he's bad in current parlance. Another example of labels so that people are afraid to speak. A man named Jeffrey Sachs was appointed to the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences. He's pro the euphemistic reproductive rights. Fine, that's his business. But does that mean that the church's position has changed? If I were to stand before the Pope and I asked, Holy Father, is anyone who supports abortion supporting a sin? Would he answer me directly from the teachings of the church? 
or would he give some evasive non-answer of the kind we hear from our political leaders in Congress? It is really a yes or no question on every church teaching. Has it changed? Yes or no? At least on paper, all the councils, it has not changed. Then why is a faithful Catholic, and I use that term loosely because faithful Catholics don't always comply with these teachings, which is why there is confession having to apologize for acknowledging those teachings as true. But this very week, the division within the church itself has gotten worse. How? The Pope met this past week, last few days, with Joe Biden. 90-minute meeting. And he allegedly, according to Forbes and many other sources, said to Joe Biden that he was happy, that Biden was a good Catholic, and that Biden should keep receiving communion. I spent considerable time on the net trying to find what the Vatican statement actually was. So here's what I found. This morning, Friday, 29 October 2021, His Excellency Joseph R. Biden, President of the United States of America, was received in audience by the Holy Father, Francis, and subsequently met with His Eminence Cardinal Secretary of State, Pietro Parolin, accompanied by His Excellency, Archbishop Paul Richard Gallagher, Secretary for Relations with States. During the course of the cordial discussions, the parties focused on the joint commitment to the protection and care of the planet, the healthcare situation and the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the theme of refugees and assistance to migrants. Reference was also made to the protection of human rights, including freedom of religion and conscience. Finally, the talks enabled an exchange of views on some matters regarding the current international situation, also in the context of the imminent G20 summit in Rome, and on the promotion of peace in the world through political negotiation. So there is no independent, from the Pope's side, confirmation of what Joe Biden denominated their main aspect of the discussion related to his Catholicism and communion, which was picked up by every media source out there and is now the prevailing concept of what the Pope said. Has the Vatican made any comment regarding this? No. According to the National Catholic Register, the Vatican has declined to comment on Joe Biden's statement that Pope Francis encouraged him to keep receiving Holy Communion during a private audience. The Vatican according to the National Catholic Register, which has a long-standing policy of not commenting on specific statements attributed to the Pope during private meetings, emphasized that the encounter between the two men on October 29th was a private conversation. I don't know about you, but it seems like this is the most public-private conversation that could ever have been had. Maybe I can understand why priests won't talk about abortion, because, quite frankly, it seems that if a priest does speak about it and even suggests what's in the teachings of the church that it's a grave moral sin he's told he's being too assertive and his silence is also not enough he's got to bless the action that is still antithetical to the still extant church teachings he must embrace it and the devil loves it made me think of the don mclean song about the day Buddy Holly died. Some of the lyrics have an eerie reference, probably not intended by the lyric writer of what's happening now in a world where 
truth varies from moment to moment and division because everything that's happened in this last week seems to me to be at least from the church position and my position as a secular person and a faithful person it just seems that division is the rule and not knowing what's true is the rule so here's the lyric oh and there we were, all in one place, a generation lost in space, with no time left to start again. So come on, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack Flash sat on a candlestick, cause fire is the devil's only friend. Oh, and as I watched him on stage, my hands were clenched in fists of rage. No angel born in hell could break that Satan's spell. And as the flames climbed high into the night to light the sacrificial rite, I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. The devil, of course, is poking around in the world, but he also pokes around in our personal lives. For me, this week has been difficult. I took a 93-year-old lady out to lunch during the week and on the way in a most inconvenient area she had to go to the restroom in accord with the law yes the law she was refused use of non-public restrooms because they didn't have any public restrooms in five different places it was at the sixth that we found a public restroom and avoided a mess and embarrassment that one bit of empathy or logic or common sense could have avoided in the first instance. Oh, he was prodding greatly because when a teenager in a fast food place with a little old lady standing there in front of her with a walker told me that if she allowed the use of her bathroom, she would be fired at the employee bathroom. My anger was at its peak. The number of times in those multiple stops at all sorts of places, including a gas mart that I left with particular curse words on my breath, attests to how successful the devil was being with me. And I'm a person who goes to church and receives the sacraments, and I am that easily tempted and discouraged. And then another very old friend, even more elderly, with dementia in a skilled nursing facility, is no longer eating and drinking. In these little and big things, it is so hard to see that God will prevail. And in these moments of my, of our daily life, it can be so hard to see that it's actually forgotten. The devil uses every moment, particularly now, where there is no agreed truth about anything, to poke at us, to make us angry, to make us want to shout at each other, and ultimately to deny God. If I were to walk into a Catholic parish on a Sunday with a big sweatshirt with big letters that simply said pro-life, do you think that someone in that space would not tell me that they were offended? Is that not crazy making? Would not the devil be laughing? Truthfully, I've been told by Catholics that my position on abortion is problematic. My position? Merely the position of the church, I thought. The devil is laughing. So generally, I don't wear t-shirts expressing either my political or religious positions or even where they overlap. I have a couple. I wear them to bed. There's bravery for you. That's why I empathize so much with Thomas More, because I feel like I think he did, only 
I don't have as much rhetorical ability, that maybe I can get through with a clear conscience without risking my head. But there comes a time when the devil pushes so hard, you just can't. So would I risk my head? Therein lies a conundrum I hope I never have to face. At least, I'm a lot older than Thomas More was when he was forced to choose. It's kind of sad when you hope you're dead before you have to make the choice. But I will tell you a, a little secret that now is not a secret about how I've felt this week after the visit of Joe Biden to the Pope. I'm back to wondering why I'm staying a Catholic. I can disagree with and actively advocate against the teachings of the church of 2000 years and in the uncontradicted words of Joe Biden, still receive communion. I kind of like that, but I don't need to be Catholic to do that. I was listening to Dennis Prager this week, who I know is again, someone that's not particularly liked because he upholds tradition which is considered these days politically alt-right. I don't know why. But anyway, he mentioned something we all know, that God brought order to chaos. And Dennis Prager has come to see the diabolic and what is happening in the nation, something he never used to talk about specifically, the diabolic, in the world, in the Jewish faith, and in the Christian faiths, and that the devil is bringing chaos to order, or trying to because the goal really is to turn as many individuals as he can against God. We have the power of God throwing grace at us always, and that's what the Catholic sacraments were about. But the devil's divisiveness is aimed at making us forget that, to deceive us into not seeing God as he did in the Garden of Eden. But this time, we won't be condemned collectively for the act of rejecting God. We will be individually raised to heaven or cast into hell by our own responses. And that's what redemption did. It gave us each a second chance. We have the choice to deny the devil the due that he claims. Which brings me back to the feeling of not needing to be Catholic that I've had this week. And I'm going to tell you really powerfully, it raises my anger. And that's what the devil wants, because then I'll act impulsively. It fuels the separation from God. Right now, that's the only germ of a solution that I have, both for myself and for interactions with others. The anger is what escalates the division. It was anger that caused Cain to kill Abel. It's anger that the devil uses. The fire of anger to bring us to the fires of hell. I'm angry enough this minute to leave the church. In my secular life, I'm angry enough never to vote again. At least for today, I will not let the devil have that satisfaction. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I will ask that the devil's disorientation be dispelled. We are in the midst of a bloody spiritual battle. And never has a prayer meant as much to me as this one does this week. Holy Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who wander through the world, seeking the ruin of souls. 
Today, I may not be a particularly happy Catholic, but I will today remain Catholic with the grace of God. Anyway, talk to you next week. <laughs>